All right, so past four weeks we've been doing foundational um, doctrinal teaching. Um, just trying to lay out as plainly, as simply as I know how, um, just that summary of what, what great things God has done for us. Um, and we last uh, talked about the, the irresistible um, grace of God. And we, we learned about um, the, the Holy Spirit and the power of the new birth, um, that it's not something that you can ask for, it's not something that you can give anybody, but that is something that God does and on His own, and when it comes into you, that which was in darkness, which is you and I, when we're conceived, we're born dead in trespasses and sins, we have no spiritual life whatsoever, and yet He comes, and where there was darkness, there's now light, His light. Same way back at creation, in the beginning, it was, it was dark. The earth was without form and void. He said, let there be light. And guess what? There was light. There was no question mark. There was no asking the darkness's permission. There was light. And so that is what happens in each child of God at some point in their life between conception and death is that they are born again and they have that light of the Lord put within them. So where there was nothing alive, there is now life. And that is not something that you and I are uh, active in. Right? That's something that is done to us and for us, and all that grace and glory goes to the Lord. So, as we're moving um, along this, this journey, we've gotten up to the spot of... Here's a question I want to uh, ask you. Um, the question is, can anything defeat Christ's work of atonement in His people? and prevent them from reaching glory? I hope everyone understands the answer is no. All right? and we'll just define atonement real quick. The atonement is the whole work of Jesus where he came and offered himself in your stead and in my stead, and that stead of every other child of God throughout all time at once, took all their sins upon him and paid the righteous justice that was due for us. For a single sin, we, we are deserving to go to hell. Okay? That's, that is without question. God is a holy God and He is not going to overlook sin. But yet, He had this great love for a people that He gave that people to His Son and His Son is willing to come and step into their place and to atone for them, to make that which had been separated by sin to now be made at one again to atone, at one meant, right? There was reconciliation where there had just been estrangement between God and his creatures. There is now a reconciliation. There is a restoration of, 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 of unity. That was Christ's work. That was why, you know, Matthew one twenty one, she shall bring forth a son. Thou shalt call his name Jesus, which means God saves, or Joshua, for he shall save his people from their sins. That was his job. That was what he had agreed with the Father before the world even began, that he was going to do that. He was obedient to the Father's will. That was what the angel said. He hadn't been born into the world yet, hadn't taken on flesh yet. That was his job, to save his people from their sins. And guess what? When he said he was finished on the cross, he was letting you know, it was finished. And the resurrection is the symbol that the Father had accepted that work and there was nothing left to do. And so, you say, well, why are we even asking this question? Is there anything that can defeat Christ's work? Because it's an important question, because folks can get confused by this, and you can get down a lot of wrong paths by going that. So can Christ's work be defeated? No. That's the simple answer. What's, what is the ultimate end for every single one of Christ's people? The Father, you know, he shall die for his people, save them from their sins. What, who, what's going to happen? What's the ultimate end? Short answer is glory. Okay? Each one will be glorified with him, dwell in glory, have glorified bodies. That's one of the beautiful things about the resurrection. Is that yes, when we die now, our physical bodies go in the grave, our soul and spirit go to be with the Lord immediately. But one day when Christ comes back, that old body that's gone back to dust. Is going to be changed into a glorified eternal body. You'll be reunited with your soul and spirit. And you will have a glorified body to worship this wonderful God for eternity. In glory, you'll be glorified. And you will behold 
the glory of God. Right? That's that's the ultimate end. That's that's what we're looking forward to. Right? That is when the full inheritance that's been prepared for us is on display and you're able to enjoy that. We we have little tastes of that inheritance now. Right? This inheritance that was prepared for you, that was purchased by Jesus' blood. The little taste is, well, that, that new birth, that indwelling of the Holy Spirit, the ability to see the Word of God and know that it's real. Right? If you can believe that the Word of God is real, that's only because the Holy Spirit has already given you new life and He's given you faith to believe that. You couldn't conjure that up on your own, right? If you can believe that, then you've got a little taste of knowing who your Lord is, right? But it's going to get better, right? It's going to get better. Part of growing up here and now is growing up to know more about Jesus here and now. And the, the gift of eternal life is to know the Father and to know His Son. And so we can learn more about Him through His Word, um, to know more about Him now, but right now we're all seeing through a glass darkly. Right? You ever tried to see somebody and their, their car was tended way too dark? Right? Illegal dark, right? And you can kind of see they're in there, but when you roll that window down and you can see clearly, that's the difference when we see through like a real tinted glass. I mean, we know the Lord's there. We, we've got that life. We can see, we can know, we can feel to some extent. But when you're there, and when the full glory is revealed, that's what we're looking forward to. That's the end result. That is what He's purchased for you. Okay? So, if that's the end result, and He came to atone for His people, is there anything that can prevent that from happening? No. And that's that's significant. That's important. That's powerful. We believe, without a shadow of a doubt, that Jesus Christ is a 100% successful Savior. All that He came to save are saved and will be with Him in glory. John chapter 6, verse 39. We're going to flip to several spots to just try and establish why we can be so confident that Jesus' work is successful. John chapter 6, verse 39. We can start in verse 38. For I came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Right? Jesus didn't start when he was born in Bethlehem. He is eternal. He is God. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was God, and the Word was with God. And everything that was created was created by him. That's how John starts, establishing that Jesus Christ is the Word, the second person in the Trinity. Right? He was there, active at creation. Everything that was made was made by him. He is God. And he came down from heaven. So when he came and took on human flesh, he was the God-man. And that's, that's confusing. That's never happened before, and you can't really wrap your head around it. But he was fully God and fully man. He came down from heaven, not to do mine own will, but the will of him that sent me. Right? You've got that covenant of grace that happened before the world was even formed. That the Father chose a people and gave them to his Son. And his Son agreed that he would be the substitution, the payment for this people who was not worthy None of them were worthy, right? One sin makes us unworthy, and yet he loved us anyway. He commended his love to us, yet when we were dead, yet without strength, yet when we were sinners, right? I came down from heaven, not to do my own will, but the will of him that sent me. Okay, well, what's the will? This is my Father's will which hath sent me, that of all which he hath given me. All right? The Father's given him something, right? particular something. Well, it's described as his people. Elsewhere, it's described as his sheep. It's called the elect. Who did God choose to give to his son? He gave them to him. And what's going to happen? Of all of them which he hath given me, I should lose nothing. That's pretty good. Right? If I handed Zach a million dollars and said, go put that in my bank account, and he went down the road and three or four bills blew away on the road, had he been successful? Now, if I'm putting a million dollars away, I might not gripe over three or four dollars, right? Do you think that's how God the Father looks at his children? No! That every single one is precious. 
Right? You've got this story about the 90 and 9 that didn't wander, and then the shepherd goes after the one that did wander, and he goes and he puts it on his shoulders and he brings it back. Right? There's great rejoicing in heaven over the one. I'm going to lose nothing. Who's speaking? Jesus Christ. That's an authority worth listening to, right? That's someone who's credible, who's believable, right? That I should lose nothing, but should raise it up at the last day. So there's something that was given. He's going to lose absolutely nothing. And every single one is going to be raised up at the last day. All right? That's Jesus' own words. You can take that to the bank and you won't lose anything. All right. How about in Hebrews chapter 12? Hebrews chapter 12 and in verse 1. All right? In Hebrews 11, you've got the, the you know, this kind of hall of fame of Old Testament heroes of faith. And it talked about how they were, they were living it out, right? They had, they had faith. They were obeying God, right? And this is, these are all wonderful things. And then in 12, it pulls it forward to the audience of the Hebrew letter. Say, okay, we got to do something now, right? That's the wherefore. It means because. All that we've just said before, seeing we are compassed about uh, with so great a cloud of witnesses. So all those that he described in chapter 11 there from, from Abraham down to David and everybody in between, right? That's that cloud of witnesses. Let us lay aside every weight and the sin which does so easily beset us and let us run with patience the race that is set before us. All right? So we have... Here in this life, we have a race. Sometime between you've been born again and your death, that's your race, right? A race of serving the Lord. You're to lay aside sin, but what are you doing while you're, while, while you're racing, while you're running? Verse 2. Looking unto Jesus, the author and finisher of our faith. Who gets all the credit? Jesus, right? Author and finisher of our faith. Now listen to this. Who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despising the shame, and is set down on the right hand of the throne of God. There is a whole lot in that verse. We could preach a whole sermon just right there. I'm going to try to dial it back because I want to keep a big picture. But there was a joy set before Jesus before he went to the cross. Now has Jesus ever learned anything? No, he's God. He knows everything. So he knew the result of his work. Do you think that a perfect and holy God would look with joy if he was going to go through this exercise of going to the cross and he would lose one? I, I sure don't. I don't think there would be joy. Now, if you and I got a 99 on a test, we'd probably be like, hey, that's pretty good. We're not God. God does not accept 99s. He's holy and he's perfect. What his will is... He accomplishes. So for the joy that was set before him, he endured the cross, despising the shame. Right? He was willing to go through this terrible, terrible thing because he saw on the other side, my children, the ones that the Father had given me, they're going to be purchased. Their sins are going to be purged. They're going to be paid for. They're going to be mine. They're going to be adopted in my family. They're going to be holy and without blame. They're going to be with me in glory. That's the joy that he saw, and he can look for it with joy because everything that he purchased, he gets. Okay? Let's go back to John. I told you we'd be bouncing around a little bit. How about John chapter 10? John chapter 10. Let's start in verse 27. My sheep hear my voice. Again, Jesus is speaking. And I know them, and they follow me. Right? Do you think a shepherd knows his individual sheep? Yeah. Think he can tell the difference between ones that aren't in his flock? Yeah. Well, you've got the great high shepherd. He knows his sheep. They follow him, and I give unto them eternal life. That's wonderful, right? Now, that was somebody shooting, not knocking on the door. That was our, that was our neighbor. <laughs> All right. I give unto them eternal life, and they shall never perish. That's good, too. Neither shall any man 
Man's in italics, so any, it could be anything. But any man, pluck them out of my hand. Where are the Lord's sheep safe at? In the hand of Jesus Christ. All right? My Father, which gave them me, is greater than all. Is there anybody greater than God? No! Absolutely not. He is supreme. He is sovereign. He is the top. There is none stronger. My Father, which gave them me, right? That people, that sheep that He gave them is greater than all. No man is able to pluck, pluck them out of my Father's hand. I and my Father are one. So where do His sheep, where do His people reside? Safe. In the Father's hand, right? Is there anything that can pluck them out? Including themselves. That's right. Right? No one is stronger than God. No one can defeat Jesus' work of atonement. Go a couple chapters forward while we're in John. John 14. This is kind of one of the last conversations that Jesus is going to have with his disciples before he is going to be arrested in the garden. He's going to go be crucified. They know it's all kind of coming to an end and things are you know, getting distressing. John 14.1 says, Let not your heart be troubled. Ye believe in God, believe also in me. In my Father's house are many mansions, many abodes, many dwelling places. It's a place of permanence. Right? This is not like a rental where you hope that they renew your lease next year. It's permanent. Many abodes. If it were not so, I would have told you. Right? He's trustworthy. Jesus is God. God cannot lie. Cannot lie. Not will not lie, but cannot lie. It would be contrary to his holy and perfect nature. I go to prepare a place for you. He's about to go to the cross and he's going to die and he's going to resurrect and be ascended up and he's going to prepare a place. And if I go and prepare a place for you, I will come again and receive you unto myself. For that where I am, there ye may be also. What is the promise that the Son of God, Jesus Christ, our Lord and Savior, is making? He says, I'm willing to go to this cross Enduring the shame of that, because that is a terrible, I mean, beyond just painful, it is a terrible, shameful, the lowliest of low possible way that you could die. It was the worst, right? But above all that, he was having the wrath of God poured out on him. So I'm willing to do all that because I'm going to go and it's going to be a preparation. I'm going to prepare a place. And, and really, he's preparing the people for the place. Right? He's making us holy and without blame by His work, by taking our sins upon Him, paying the price for Him, and His righteousness being put on us instead. So there's a preparing going on, but here's the promise that I'm going to come again, and I'm going to receive you unto Myself. There, that, that where I am, ye may be also. What's so great about heaven? It's not streets of gold. It's not, you know plantation column mansions or whatever people get in their heads about. It's not this stuff, right? Gold's going to be so worthless they paved the streets with it. It doesn't matter. The glory of heaven is that Jesus Christ, your God, is there. And you're in His presence and you can worship Him perfectly, not bound up in sin. Or even here, you're, you're tired, you're sleepy, you're wondering about what your job's got to be or your homework that you forgot to do or whatever. There's all these little distractions and things and... and and we can't go a moment without having some kind of evil thought, right? There, there is corruption within us. We've got the new man when you're born again that's, that's, that's perfect, that doesn't lead you to sin, but you still got the old man, right? That you got to battle against all the time. You're like, wow, he's talking, he's talking about Jesus, but then my mind goes, Whoa! right? That will be like that in heaven. You'll be glorified, and you'll be there in his glory, and you'll be able to praise him perfectly. You're going to be there. He's promising to take his people, those same ones that his father gave him, that are safe in his hands, and he's going to come back and he's going to get them. Right? Not just, I mean, he's buying all of you. You ever heard the expression lock, stock, and barrel? Or getting the whole package, right? He didn't just buy your soul. That's right. Soul, spirit, and body, right? He takes soul and spirit. Now, when you die, he's going to come back together and give you a, a, a repackaged model that doesn't wear out and doesn't get hurt and doesn't get cancer and doesn't get tired. 
right? All this goes to decay. But it won't always be that way, right? Let's go to Romans chapter 8. And again, all we're trying to do is look at a few of the myriad, big word, a bunch of scriptures that teach that Jesus' work is successful and will continue to be successful. Romans chapter 8. Let's see, I really want to get down to 35, but there's just so much good stuff. All right. Start in 29. 28. All right, we're going to get there. Romans 8, 28. We know that all things work together for good to them that love God, to them who are called according to his purpose. All right? There's that group, that same one that the Father gave to the Son. Those are the ones that love God. Before you're called by God and his irresistible grace, do you know your relationship with God? Totally estranged? You're at enmity with him. That's a big old word. It means hatred. You have no love for God. You can't, right? You're just carnal. You're just flesh. The carnal mind, it says over in Corinthians, the carnal mind is at enmity with God. Hatred, okay? That's your default state. You want to do what you want to do. You have no desire to serve God or please God or love God. None of that comes natural. That's the beauty of the Holy Spirit coming to you and giving you new life, new birth. That, that born again means born from above. If you go look at the Greek, right? it's the regeneration of new life, a quickening um, to make alive. All right? So those are the ones who are going to love God. For whom he did foreknow. All right? This is the knowing, not just general knowledge. God knows everybody. Right? But this is like over in Matthew when Jesus is talking to uh, the two groups. Right? You've got the sheep and you've got the goats. What does he say to the goats? Depart from me, for I never knew you. Right? So this foreknowledge is not just general knowledge of you, but this is the Father putting his love upon a people to know them in a special way. Not because they were worthy. Right? Again, they were all sinners. But he put his love upon them anyway. Why? For his glory. Because he's going to demonstrate mercy by delivering them. All right? For whom he did foreknow, um, he also did predestinate to predetermine or mark out in advance what? That they would be conformed to the image of his son. Is that what they look like? Is that what you and I start like? Right? We don't start anything like the image of his son. We're not holy, right? Totally corrupt. You know, we go aside speaking lies, right? You ever seen a toddler? Toddlers know how to lie. Who taught him that? Did you break it? No, it was sis. Right? You ever done that? Me too. That comes natural. That's our human nature. We don't start out conformed to the image of Christ. And we're not going to fully be conformed here in this lifetime because we've still got that old sin nature. Right? But this is before the foundation of the world that God put his love upon people. We call that election, unconditional election. Right? And he predetermined that they are going to wind up looking like Jesus Christ. That's a good ending. All right? But there's some things that had to happen before it got there. All right? Um, to be conformed to the image of his son, that he might be the firstborn among many brethren. Who's the he? Well, that's Jesus Christ. He's going to be the firstborn among many brethren. Who's the brethren? That's the whole family of God. Jew, Gentile, white, black, American, wherever. It doesn't matter any of those characteristics that we parse ourselves into in this life. Right? I'm not like you because whatever. I'm not like you because whatever. None of that matters among the family of God. Right? If you're adopted into the family, your brothers, your sisters, you can now. And your older brother is Jesus Christ. Right? One family of God. And so Jesus Christ is the firstborn, having both the preeminence, right, among many brethren. Moreover, so not only that, moreover, who he did predestinate, he predestinate to be Conformed to the image of his son. Some folks get confused and say, well, God determined all things in advance. No, it doesn't say that. It says that he determined that those people that he put his love upon would end up looking like his son. Amen. Elsewhere, it said that it would, he predetermined that Jesus would come to make that happen. Those are your two things. And if you look for that word predestination, that's the only two occurrences it'll be. What those people will end up like, conform to the image of his son, and the work of Jesus Christ. Those were the two things. All right? Them, again, same body, them he also called. And that's what we talked about last week. The calling. 
He who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Right? This is him wakening you, giving you spiritual life. So at some point, all among all those children of God, whether it's that thief who's hanging on the cross, right? So Sarah and I were talking about this morning. How proud do you think that thief's mama was of him? I mean, he's a thief. He's being crucified for his crimes. Was he a good boy? No, I would say not, right? But he's no worse than I am. And you're no better than he is. But when God called him there on the cross, because you know what happened when they started that crucifixion? There's two thieves. Both are making fun of Jesus. Saying, hey, if you're going to get yourself out of this pickle, get us down too. Paraphrasing. Go read the exact language. Right? But along that line, somewhere along that time, while they're hanging up there, one of them had something happen in him. Right? And the other one's still picking on him. He says, basically, hush, boy. Don't you see we're in the same condition? Us, rightly, we deserve it, but this man's done nothing to miss. And he looks to Jesus and says, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And what does Jesus say? He says, this day you shall be with me in paradise or heaven. Right? Do you think that thief's mama had been very proud of him throughout his life? Had he done anything to make him say, yeah, what a good boy? Right? No. But yet when the father calls, didn't have a choice. Right? It was irresistible. And who gets all the glory in that? God does, right? He calls them out of darkness, and we're in just the same level of darkness, right? Our, our sins may not be as overt. We may not get caught. But, you know, we know from Matthew uh, chapter 6, we've been studying the Sermon on the Mount, I may never have murdered somebody, but have I hated somebody without a cause? In God's eyes, I am just as guilty as a murderer. Right? So I am no better. But what? And if you can see that, then you can start to appreciate the magnitude of, of God's grace for us. Right? Grace is favor that you didn't earn. Right? It is giving you something that you didn't deserve. If we got justice, you know, I said those, read those shirts, only God can judge me. That's a really scary thing because if he judges us based on our merits, we've got nothing to plead. All we have is crimes. So I don't, I don't, I don't want, want justice. <laughs> I want to plead mercy based on Jesus' righteousness because he has already paid for every single one of the sins for all of his people, right? So at some point in their lives, he calls them and whom, he also, uh, and, and whom he called, them he also justified. God made them just. He made them innocent. He made them pure. How? By Jesus' work. Not because of anything you or I could do to earn it. He made them, right? And again, we're talking about the same group of people. He made them just, and whom he justified, them he also glorified. Now, there's a little bit of glorification that's happened by that Holy Spirit dwelling within you, right? You're a new creature. That's a creature that will never die. You have eternal life dwelling within you, but the magnitude of that glorification to be fully conformed to the image of the Son, we ain't there yet, right? When you die, it's going to get better, but that ain't even the end of it. When Christ comes back, and wraps up the whole sin-cursed world and puts it away like folding up a worn-out garment, right? And everyone who was in the grave comes up and there's glorified bodies, and then there's a time when there is no sin. And that time doesn't end, right? Time kind of ends, right? There's no, there's no end for that. That's eternity of that wickedness and righteousness are permanently separated. When it says the meek shall inherit the earth. That's the new heaven and the new earth. There's only one locale then for, for, for God's children, and they will be there for forever. And that's the ultimate glorification. But it's so sure that it's already written in the past tense. right? Just like it was so sure to all the Old Testament saints that Jesus was going to die and do the atonement, Old Testament saints who died before that chronologically, they didn't go to hell. There's nothing in Scripture that says that. Right? It was sure, and God operates out of, out of time anyway, right? He's bigger than us, right? So my point be, again, our question, I'm, I know I'm, I'm going bigger than I thought to. Can anything defeat Christ's work? What shall we say then to these things, right? These are the things. This is God the Father, this is the Son, the Holy Spirit, all working together, the three in one, the triune God, working together 
Can anything, what can we say of these things? If God be for us, now, you just read what he's done. Is God for him? For you? Yes. yes, absolutely. For every single one of his children, God's for them. Who can be against us? I mean, who can stand up on the other team? He that spared not his own son, but delivered him up for us all, how shall he not freely, also freely give us all things, right? Whatever we need here and now, who shall lay anything to the charge of God's elect? All right. You know the job, job of a prosecutor is to go and say, I bring charges against this individual, right? They've done something, right? Who can do that against God's children now? Nobody, Nobody right? Because everything that you and I have done, and will do, because guess what? You're going to keep sinning. Not, not encouraging you, not inviting you to do that, but that's a reality. As long as you are still here in this flesh, you will continue to sin. Nobody can lay a charge to it because Jesus has already paid for that too, right? Who can lay anything to the charge of God's elect? It's God that justified it. He's the one who dealt with that. That price has been paid for. There's, you know, double jeopardy. You ever heard that concept? You can't be uh, punished for the same crime twice, right? Well, that's the, that's the concept there is that God is not going to require a punishment on you or on me for a sin that Jesus has already paid for. He's not. Who is he that condemneth? It is Christ that died, yea, rather, that is risen again, who is even at the right hand of the God, who also maketh intercession for us. So God, uh, there sitting on his right hand is Jesus Christ. He's still actively interceding on your behalf. Right? This is one of mine. I've paid for that. Right? So the question begs us, who shall separate us from the love of Christ? What then? Is there anything in the known or unknown universe that can separate you from Christ's love? And that love has been going on since before the foundation of the world. Who shall separate us from the love of Christ? Shall tribulation. Can things get so bad that you could be plucked out of the Father's hand? No. Distress? Agony? Anguish? Persecution? Right, we, don't, we don't even know what persecution is as far as being a Christian today. We don't. Right, but you look through the time in Acts where, uh, oh, you're a follower of Christ. Okay, we're going to jail. We're going to seize your stuff. We're going to have a trial. And the question is, are you a follower of Jesus Christ? Yes, okay, that's a death sentence. Right? And that still goes on around the world. We try not to think about it. We've never experienced that here. But can any persecution get so bad that it can defeat the work of Jesus Christ, that it can pluck you out of the hand. That whole thing, that he who he's foreknown and predestinated, everyone he calls, he's justified and glorified, who can lay something to them to where they are no longer safe in the Father's hand? Nobody. There's no persecution worse. That's bad enough. No famine, right? We could run out of food. We could, we could starve to death. That's happened in history. We don't know it here because we're so blessed. But can famine... Or nakedness, we have no clothes, or peril, or sword, warfares. Do you have to be afraid of any of these things? No, because in the big picture, none of them can defeat what Jesus Christ. Is it pleasant to go through them? I'm not saying that. But do you have to fear it? No, because Jesus' work is secure. As it is written, for thy sake we're killed all the day long. We're accounted as sheep for the slaughter. Nay, in all these things we are more than conquerors through him... That loved us. It doesn't mean we take up the sword and we defeat all those things. But Jesus has already obtained the victory. Right? Jesus told you, you don't have to be afraid of man. The worst they can do is kill you. And then guess what? You're with the Lord. You, you win. Right? Paul said to live is Christ. I get the opportunity to serve Christ. But death is gain. Right? Child of God. Born again, child of God. You don't have to fear death. Right? It's not something that you should you know, foolishly seek out or tempt God or anything like that. You've got a race here to run. But when it comes in whatever form it is, you don't have to fear it because his work is complete. You're secure in his hand and in the Father's hand, and no one can pluck you out. For I am persuaded, and this persuaded means thoroughly convinced. All right? There's not just like a, well, I kind of hope this is true, but this is, I know this to be true. I am persuaded that neither death nor life 
nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature, all those you know, laundry list of things, none of those shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. What can separate you from Christ's love? Nothing. Right? That was a pretty exhaustive list. Nothing can separate you from Christ's love, from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Nothing. Death. When you die, the body goes to the ground. Your soul and spirit is with the Lord. To be absent from the body is to be present with the Lord. Can it separate you? No! Life, can, can life, whatever, and that's such a broad thing. Can anything that can happen to you in life, whether your actions or somebody else's actions, separate you from the love of God? No. What about angels? Right? We like to think about God's angels that are messengers, you know, flaming fire servants, you know, that minister to God's children. We like to think about that. But there's also fallen angels, right? Those that didn't keep their first estate, as it says over there in Jude, right? This is, we, they're also described as demons, right? Um, this is who Jesus was casting out and who the apostles were casting out. Right? When Jude, it says that they're reserved in chains of darkness, right? Unto the great judgment, right? To the extent they have any power or influence left, whatever that is, and there, there are things we just don't know, right? There's, there is a spiritual world of wickedness that we can't see. It's not real fun to think about. But it exists. But do you have to fear it? Even, even Satan himself. Satan is a defeated foe. Is he upset about it? Yeah! Right? But he cannot undo the work of Christ. Right? So no angel, right? even though they're stronger than we are, right? they cannot defeat him. So you don't have to fear that. No angel, no principalities. All right? Principalities, that, that means that kind of general governments. Whether it's seen or unseen. Right? We talk about spiritual warfare over in Ephesians chapter 4. That's something about there's unseen things. But again, even though you can't see it or understand it, you don't have to fear it. It can't undo Jesus' work. Principalities, powers, right? The wrong person gets elected. Okay. Right? All that's here is temporary. This, what we've just described, this is permanent. Right? This was written in something way better than Sharpie. All right? You ever had Sharpie get on your kids' clothes? You're trying to get that in the wash? Five, six, seven wash it? No, right? Or have one draw on their face and then have to go to school? Right? This is written in an ink that was far more permanent. It was written in the own blood of Jesus Christ. Right? Permanent. It cannot be washed out. It does not fade. No powers, nor things present. All right? How's that for a catch-all that anything that exists right now, anything, can it separate you from God's love? Short answer, no. Well, what about things beyond right now, in the future, right? We worry about tomorrow a lot, right? Is there anything that can come in the future? No, anything to come. Nothing can separate you. No height, as far away as you want to go high, no depth, as far away as you can go, nor any other creature, again, including yourself, shall be able to separate you from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus. This is, this is a big deal. All right? This is something that we can't lose sight of. If you start looking at your own strength, your own ability, your own intellect, your own wisdom, if you're honest, you'll probably be disappointed. <laughs> right? We know how often we fail, how often we can't get it together, how often things that should be obvious, when we look back on it, and we're going through it, like, well, I just... I whiffed on that, right? It's not on you. Christ is the one who did the work, and he and the Father are the ones that are actively keeping you now, guarding you, hedging you in, so that you remain safe, so that you will be with him in glory. Okay? Let's go to Hebrews chapter 1. I want to make this, this point, and we'll... Try to tie it together. Hebrews chapter 1. We talked about Jesus made in 12, about being the author and finisher who, for the joy that sat down before him. 
I want to just read a couple verses here talking about how great Jesus is. All right? God, who at sundry times and diverse manners spake in time past unto the fathers by the prophets. All right? Again, this is being written. There are Christians, Jews, who are natural Jews. And all throughout the Old Testament, the way the message from God was delivered to the people was through prophets. Whether God sent an angel to them or whether the Lord appeared to them directly. Right? There was given to them one-on-one, -on -one, and then they would go and give the message as prophets. All right? That was the way he had communicated before. But now there's something better. He hath in these days spoken unto us by his Son. All right? This is Jesus Christ is now speaking directly. God the Father speaking through his Son. Is that a better messenger? Yes. Yeah, and the whole point of Hebrews is that he's a better messenger. He's got a better message. Everything about the new covenant is better and better and better. And don't go back to the old things that are you know comfortable and routine. Stay with the better, right? Whom he hath appointed heir of all things. Who is the heir to which all things belong and are given to him? Jesus Christ. Is that, that's, a big, that's a big ownership, right? Is there anything excluded from that? No. Heir of all things, by whom also he made the worlds, right? Again, you hear God the Father um, create, as, thinking of him as the creator God. But the second person of the Trinity, the Word, Jesus Christ, was right there. Right? The word, it, it was probably Jesus who said, let there be light. Right? He was there. By whom also he made the worlds. God the Father made the worlds by Jesus Christ. Can, I can't. I can't explain the Trinity. I can't. But I believe Scripture teaches it, and I believe it to be real. There's three and one. They're all equal. They're all one. And so here you've got the Son made all the worlds who being the brightness of his glory, all right, and the express image of his person, Jesus is the, the visual that you can't, you know, God is invisible, right? God the Father is invisible. Here you have the express brightness of his glory, the express image of his person. Not only that, he upholds all things by his power, right? Uphold things, all, all things by the word of his power. Right? Jesus Christ is the sustainer, right? This is not, he set up the world and they just you know, kind of spun it like a top and, well, it's going off over there. Right? His word is what keeps the world alive and going. Right? Do you have one more breath in your lungs? Guess where it came from? Right? He is sustaining you even in that. But listen to how it culminates up. All these great titles of why he's better. What's the last one? And kind of the, the pinnacle. When he had by himself purged our sins, he sat down on the right hand of the majesty on high. That's the work of atonement. Did anybody help Jesus in purging the sins of his people? No, it says it did it by himself. Right? And purge, that means they're put away. They're gone. Right? And the reason he sat down is because the job was finished. Right? He's a high priest. Picture of the Old Testament, the high priests who are going and going before God and making atonement for the people. All those are pictures pointing to a perfect high priest. But that high priest in the Old Testament never got to sit down. Right? There was no chairs in the tabernacle because the job was never finished. It was just a type. It was a shadow pointing to Jesus' work. But when he finished, when he could say, it is finished, that sitting down is the embodiment of, yeah, it was. It's done. Now, he's still operating as a mediator on our behalf, interceding as we're going through our lives. But the work of redemption, the purging of our sins, is completed. All right? So, we firmly, firmly believe that every single child of God will be with Christ in glory. And these are just a few scriptures that point that out. And... How do we believe that to be so? Well, we know that God's loved his people from before the foundation of the world. We know that when mankind fell and we all had that sin nature, we know that somewhere a long time, Jesus was going to have to come into the world and, and deal with that sin. And that happened 2,000 years ago or so when he came in and he purged the sins of all his people, all those that had already lived and all those that will live until he comes back. Right? And in each of their lives, at some point, 
He gives them life so that they can know what he did. Right? That's the beauty of it. You don't have to wait to heaven to know what Jesus did for you. Right? He, he could have left us ignorant. He could have. But he chose to give us life and so that we get to worship him and glorify him and serve him now. Right? But he's not just leaving us on our own in that period. Okay, you've been born again, and one day you'll be with glory. You're not just floating in between. Right? You're not left to your own devices. Man, I sure hope you don't mess this up. That would not be comfortable. That would not be scary. That would be scary. That would, that would be, how could Jesus set down for joy if there is this period between your life and when you're born again, and every child of God, at some point you're born again, and at some point you're going to die, unless he comes back first, right? What's going on in between there? The new life and your death. Are you just on your own? And if we believe that every child of God is going to be with God in glory, then we know for a fact, no, you're not on your own. He's still with you and keeping you and guarding you now. All right? Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6. He's very thankful. Apostle Paul's writing to the church at Philippi. He's very thankful for him. He makes great prayers for him. He's grateful for the fellowship that they had with him in the gospel from the very first day that he got there. Being confident of this very thing. Confident. I'm assured of something. This, you could say I'm fully persuaded. I am confident about something of this very thing. That he which hath begun a good work in you. All right, well, let's just define that. Who's the he? Who begins a good work in every child of God? It's God himself, right? That's the calling. God says, I'm giving new life to this one. Whew, guess what they have? New life, right? That's the beginning of that good work in you, right? Jesus did this work for you and the atonement. Now we're talked about last week what he did in you. He that's begun that good work in you, He's leaving it to your own, and I hope you don't mess it up. I'm sure glad that's not what it says. He that hath begun a good work in you will perform it for at least a week or two, for as long as you do what you're told, until the warranty runs out. Will perform it until the day of Jesus Christ. That's a particular day. Nobody knows what it is. They tell you they know what it is. They're lying. But that's the day when Christ returns. And we get fully glorified bodies and fully, you know, we're in glory. Right? Is there any gap in when God loves you? No. In, in, in time, is there any gap? No. Is there any period in which you're just on your own and it's got to be up to your own strength? No. He's keeping you. He that started it is going to perform it. He will continue to perform it. Jude 24 and 25. Single chapter. But listen to how this little letter ends. Jude verses 24 and 25. It's wrapping up this, this note. It says, Now unto him that is able to keep you from falling. Now when you and I talk about that expression, able to keep you from falling, you and I may use it in a way that implies there's a question of whether or not we will. Okay? This is referring to the ability of God. Does God have the ability to keep you from falling? This is a statement of truth. He is able. He has the ability to keep you from falling and to present you faultless before the presence of his glory with exceeding joy. Right? For that joy that was set before him. What a joy for Jesus when all of his brethren and all of his sisters and all the family of God is there gathered together in glorified bodies for the first time. What a joy! He is able to keep every single one from falling, right? They're safe in his hand. Are they going to tumble off? No. Can anybody thump them off? No. Right? They're safe. He's able to present you faultless. Faultless. Right? You're conformed to the image of his son, right? Uh, Ephesians 1, 4, uh, according, to, according as he hath chosen us, in him before the foundation of the world, right, that we should be holy and without blame before him in love. That's the culmination, right? 
What is all, all of history thus far is pointed to Jesus' work on the cross, right? The next major milestone that we're looking for is to all, all of his children, every single one, to be before him holy and without blame, conformed to his image, all as one family with a great joy. And he's the one who is keeping it. He's the one who is guarding it. He is the one who is able to do it and will do it. To the only wise God be glory and majesty and dominion and power forever. Amen. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5. Yes, I could have pared this down and used fewer examples, but there's so many good examples. 1 Thessalonians chapter 5 and 23. Paul's writing out, closing out this letter to the church at Thessalonica. And the very God of peace sanctify you, separate you, make you holy. And I pray, God, your whole spirit and soul and body be preserved, guarded, right, kept, preserved blameless until how long? Until the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now, if you just stop there, you could think, well, Paul's having to pray for that. Maybe it won't happen, right? Sometimes we pray for things and God says no. Read the next verse. Faithful is he that calleth you. Who called you? God. Who also will do it. He is going to sanctify you. Right? To make you holy. And it's going to preserve you. Your whole spirit, soul, body. Is there any part of you that he doesn't have? All of it. Right? May be preserved blameless under the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. That's a pretty good guarantee. Is the one who's making it able to perform it? Yeah, y'all ever made promise you weren't able to follow up on? Sometimes it's beyond your ability, despite your good intentions. Does God ever make a promise like that? No. He's able to do it, and He will do it. Right? This is something that He had predetermined in advance before the first light was shining in this world, that this would happen that his children would be conformed to the image of his son, it's going to happen. What an assurance, what a, what a rest that you and I can have. All right, we're going to go to one more place. I know it's after, after afternoon, but, uh, but we've got lunch out there. So that won't go away. We don't, we don't have to go far for lunch. I want you to go to 1 Peter. 1 Peter. Hebrew, James, Peter. There we go. First Peter. Again, Paul is writing to the strangers. They're scattered throughout this big old region. Pontus, Galatia, Cappadocia, Asia, Bithynia. That's a, that's a big old chunk of land. You know, it's, it's you know, southern to be all y'all. Alright? <clears throat> all y'all specifically who are elect according to the foreknowledge of God the Father. Right? That's what we talked about. Unconditional elect. The Father chose those people. Right? Elect according to the foreknowledge of God. He put his love upon them. That was his will. That was his choice. Through the sanctification of the Spirit unto obedience and the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ. All right, you've got this, this little densely packed um, couple of sentences here that are going to basically show the whole picture of salvation from before the world began to where it ends. But you've got uh, the sanctification of the Spirit. God calling his people out of darkness and into his light. You've got the sprinkling of the blood of Jesus Christ, right? You've got that picture of the atonement, right? Jesus Christ doing that work. Grace be unto you and peace be multiplied. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, which according to his abundant mercy hath begotten us again, right? That, that new birth. He didn't leave us ignorant. He didn't leave us uh, with that hard heart of stone, that, that heart that had no faith, right? Rather, he has begotten us again unto a lively hope, right? Is your hope living today? Your hope is in the person and the work of Jesus Christ, right? He's a lively hope by the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, right? He, he rose from the dead. If Jesus didn't rise from the dead, we can just go home. This is all just pretend, right? But he's alive, and he's on the throne. He's interceding on your behalf, and he's coming back. And you're being kept until he does. So, we've begotten us to a lively hope, to an inheritance, 
incorruptible. That inheritance, that thing that he has prepared for you from the foundation of the world, it's incorruptible. It cannot be decayed. It cannot go away. There's no expiration date, no failure of a warranty to an inheritance incorruptible, undefiled. There's nothing sinful. There's nothing impure. There's nothing marred about it. Everything we do and touch is marred, right? My best thoughts, my best actions on my best day are still tainted and contaminated. There's none there, all right? Undefiled and fadeth not away, reserved in heaven for you. God's reserved, right? It's there. It's waiting. We're looking for that day when Christ comes back and there's this full unveiling of glory, that inheritance. And in the meantime, verse 5, this is all I really wanted for the whole day. This is what I've been trying to get to. <laughs> you who are kept by the power of God through faith unto salvation, ready to be revealed in the last time, you're kept. You're guarded. The actor in that is God. And it's going to continue all the way to the ultimate completion of salvation, which is when Jesus Christ gets what he pays for. All of his people with him around him. Not a single one with spot or blemish. It's the bride of Christ. That's the picture. He's the husband and they're the bride and who he gave his own life for. That great love. Husbands, that's how we're supposed to love our wives. All right, Ephesians chapter 5 of with the same love that he had for his bride, that he was willing to give his own wife, that she would be holy and without blame, without spot or blemish, be with him in glory. That's a great amount of love. Husbands, we have a lot of, a lot of love that we ought to be given, right? Self-sacrificial love, but that's the church. There's not a spot. There's not a blemish. They're with him. And it doesn't end. So that's what we're looking forward to. And we can see what he's done. But we're kind of finite, right? Today is generally when we're focused. God's active right now. He's keeping you right now. Does that mean you won't have hard times? <laughs> Y'all all lived long enough to know that hard times come. Like Jesus promised, all that would live godly shall have tribulations, right? Shall suffer persecutions, right? There's, there's some promises in there that prosperity preachers don't want to talk about, <laughs> Right? Doing the right thing often has hard consequences. But that's okay. Because we know what hard thing Jesus has done. And what hard consequences he's borne. And what he is going to have as his reward, which is all of his people. You can rest assured in that. No matter what you're going through, this is still true. Why can Christians be the happiest even in the darkest times? Because this is still true true are you going to make mistakes and sin yes. yep you can make some really big ones is there something that you can do that's so big to defeat what he did yeah. alright now King David here's an example described as a man after God's own heart right he spent his years obeying God doing the right thing you know he had opportunities to kill his political opponent right he had several opportunities where King Saul was just in his hand and he could. And all of his troubles would have been over. He'd been on the run, living, camping in the woods and tents and, and, and caves for years, trying not to die because he didn't do anything to this king, but the king was jealous. But he didn't kill him. Right? What you and I would describe as a good guy. Man after God's own heart. But David messed up. Right? And when he was supposed to be off at war, he stayed home. And he couldn't sleep one night, and he got himself in trouble by going up and walking on the, the roof of the, the, the building. He looked down, he saw a woman bathing. She was pretty, and it was not his wife, and she was married. And being the king, he called her to her. They had relations, and she was impregnated. He tried to frame the husband so that the husband would think it was his child by calling him back from war, getting him drunk, and sending him home. The husband was so loyal to this king that he wouldn't even go home because his men were having to camp out. They weren't with their wives. He just slept at the door of the yeah. castle, right? That'd be the end of it, right? No. Then he calls the general and says, I want you to have that man murdered. That's not the language he used. He said, I want you to put him in the hottest part of the battle, and I want you to draw back a little bit, and if he happens to die so that he dies, that would be a good thing. The general does that. He moves his forces way too close to the, to the wall. The arrows are shooting. 
and they have to report a lot of losses. And so the messenger who's having to go deliver that message, he tells him, you tell him what happened. And when he gets mad that we were so close to the wall, you just say, and oh yeah, that guy that you wanted, he died too. And so the king will know that this was deliverance, fulfilling of his, his mission, right? This is a man after God's own heart. This was a this faithful man of God. We know what he'd done, what good things, but now you've got an adulterer, a liar, a cheat, a murderer, trying to cover it up. There were consequences for that. Don't get me wrong. There were terrible consequences that happened in his family. The, the child that Bathsheba had, she, he, he died. And there was turmoil and strife in David's house for many, 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 many years. But even those great and vile and awful sins did that separate David from being a child of God. No. You think, well, how can that be fair? How can that be just? Jesus paid for that sin too. And we're no better than David. Okay? Never committed adultery. Ever looked at something online that I shouldn't have? Yeah, I have. That's adultery. That's, that's committing adultery in your heart. Right? All those sins that we look at other people, oh, you are just lower than me because you did that and you got caught. Right? We may have just done it in our mind or in our heart or we didn't get caught. That's the measure of God's grace is that it's bigger than us. It's bigger than our sins. Now, will he chasten us and give us consequences if we uh, choose? Because the sins are a choice. Nobody's making you do it. Right? These are things that you want to do that you follow through on. Are there consequences? Yeah. But even in the consequences, you can be assured that he's still keeping you and he loves you. You know who the, the loving father chastens? His own children. You don't go to the next door neighbor and discipline their kids. Not your kids. Right? But your kids, you love and you train and you teach. That's what our Father does for us because He loves us. But don't confuse that discipline with He is now condemning me for that sin. That sin's been paid for. Now, should we go and willfully sin? No. Right? God forbid. That's the language used in Romans. God forbid. Right? Don't let me voluntarily add more than my Lord had to pay for. Right? If I have been quickened, if I'm alive, if I have a, a spirit within me that knows who Jesus is and knows what he's done and know that that applies to me, if I can believe that the word is real, then I've been given faith, and that faith has come from God. It's a gift. It's not of yourself. Then I can see where I was. And how I wasn't worthy and how he loved me anyway and how he died for me and how he's promised to come and get me immediately upon my death and then for my body too. I can see this big picture. Why would I want to bring that God shame? Why would I want to declare that I am more important? What I want is more important than serving this great God. Is he worthy of your gratitude and love and affection? That's why we serve him. Not out of fear of being squished like a bug, like if I do the wrong thing, I'm going to be cast into hell. I've already done the wrong thing and should be cast into hell, but he didn't because his son bore the price for me. Right? We should be the happiest people alive. It's when we start looking at the, the little stuff going on and we forget the big picture that we really get bent out of shape. Right? This is our God. This is our Lord. This is Jesus Christ, the head of this church. Right? Two or more gathered together, there I am in the mystery, right? Small body today. You could be discouraged by that. Most important party who needs to be here, he's here. And he's the one we're here to worship. And he's worthy of our worship. And so it's a good day. We need to be reminded of these things. So I hope this has been encouraging, and I hope that you will latch on to this so that this changes how you're weak month, year, life goes. If we go to church and we hear things and nothing changes in our life, there's a problem. Right? I'm not saying go be better so you can earn your way to heaven. I'm not saying that at all. You can't do it. You can't earn your way. In fact, Jesus has already paid for that. But can you be more conformed to his image now? Can you grow in grace now? Can you learn more about your Lord now? Or is he revealed? 
in His Word. That's the source. That's the foundation. That's the truth. Can you do that now? Yes, you have the ability. You've been given life. Right? When your child is born, you say, oh, it's born. Great. Now we're done. <laughs> now the child, you, you teach, you train, you, you want them to grow up. Right? Well, when we're born again, we're kind of like that little infant in arms. we got some growing up to do. And I can present information to you. I can encourage you. I can give you uh, ways to study and learn, but I can't make you go do it. Right? There's some, there's some individual responsibility and discipline and, and adding to our faith. You've been given faith. Add to it virtue and knowledge and patience and charity and brotherly love. All those things. You can go find that Second Peter thing. Um, there's things to do. Right? Again, not because you're trying to earn your way into heaven. You can't get there by your own merits. But in seeing what Christ has done, this should be life-altering. He should be the focus. He should have the preeminent spot in our life of love and affection. It should affect how you design a marriage. It should go on forth, right? Not just what does please me, what does please me, what does please Christ. If that's your mutual goal in a marriage, what pleases Christ, what glorifies Christ, guess what? You'll both be better off. You know, designing how you parent children. What do I want? What do you want? Well, if it's just based on your own opinion, your own opinions ain't worth very much. But if we're both going to, this is what Scripture says, this is how I think we need to apply it, you've got something sure to hang on to. Something that you can build on. Something that's not going to change from month to month to month. You read a parenting book from 50 years ago to 10 years ago to the now, right? Secular ones, right? What they recommend, and, and, and it's, it's just, just you know, crazily changed in the same way if, if you go back and get, you know, go visit the doctor 200 years ago and he starts pulling out leeches. You're like, whoa, why would you ever recommend that? It's human knowledge. It's based on the best that they knew and their guesses. If you're not building your life on that which doesn't change, that's all you got. It's human guesses. And now I've led into a whole other topic. We need to go eat some lunch. So I love y'all very much. Thank you for your time and attention. Does anybody have a song you'd like to sing? To come